The title of today's message is The Promise. We're going to be continuing in our, our Holy Spirit series, talking about the different facets of the Holy Spirit. And we're still um, in the Old Testament looking at a lot of the ways that the Hebrews saw the Holy Spirit and um, not only looking at what how they saw the Holy Spirit, but what He means for our lives today. So I'm going to start off this morning by just asking a question. How many people here just are seem to be constantly living in a spiritual state of exhaustion, it seems? It feels like you're like all the time you're overwhelmed, all the time you're stressed out, all the time you just seem to sometimes just be like, oh, already, or I mean, can this just be done already? And you can get this way in life, and sometimes it just seems like you're barely making it Sunday to Sunday to stay on track with your spiritual walk with God. It seems like Sunday, you're just like, if I could just make it till Sunday, everything will be okay. And I've talked about this with even fellow pastors who agreed with me that it just seems like the attacks of the enemy just keep coming and coming on a personal way, but also in the way that our society is reacting to everything. It just seems like it's, it's just unrelenting in our day. And in many Christians, it seems to be producing a spiritual lethargy. It kind of reminds me when you're traveling a long distance and you just want to get to the destination and, and you're driving for hours and hours and hours and it seems like everything possible is slowing you down. You hit construction, that slows you down. You hit a traffic jam, that slows you down. Uh, but you, you just keep running into things that keep you from getting to your destination. It reminded me when Tammy and I took our road trip to Colorado a few years ago, not last year, but a few years ago, when we were trying to get to Estes Park, and then all of a sudden, a wildfire, as we pulled into Loveland, Colorado, a wildfire jumped faster than any wildfire had ever jumped in history, 78 miles, and was threatening Estes Park, so they closed it. And it's like we couldn't get to where we wanted to go, even though we'd been driving forever to get there. And so we decided to switch directions. We went to Colorado Springs, said, oh, we'll just go to Pikes Peak. Left er earlier in the morning, plenty of time to get there. As we get right outside Colorado Springs, a wildfire starts right next to the interstate, closes the interstate. We were stuck up there for hours. We just could not get to where we wanted to go. That's kind of what it feels like it is today. It just feels like we can't make any progress with anything when it comes to our spiritual walk or even making Christianity um, favorable or, or attractive to those on the outside. And even more frustrating than that, when it comes to our world, it just seems like everything is getting worse. And no matter how much we pray and how much we cry out to God, God seems like he's being silent during these times. A few months ago, I spoke to the men on Father's Day, and I quoted from the book of Daniel that in the end times, which I believe we are in the end times right now, the spirit of Antichrist will wear out the saints of the Most High God. And it feels like we are there right now. However, we're not the only ones to experience this type of spiritual frustration as we wait for God to come and make things right on earth. 
In the Old Testament, the Hebrew people lived in this spiritual condition for centuries, waiting for their Messiah to finally come. Generations came and went and did not get to see the promise of God. They were trusting in a promise given to them right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And you remember what happened. God created them, Adam and Eve, told them to reign and rule over the creation he made for them. You know, the earth was made for, for you and I. He gave us only one rule. You must not eat from one tree in the garden. That fruit of that tree will destroy your innocence. It will separate you from the source of all your spiritual power, all of your spiritual life, and your relationship with the Creator. That one rule. Well, we all know what happened. The deceiver, the deceiver came disguised as a serpent and led them into committing the first human sin. And immediately, the Bible says, they felt the presence, the power, and the spiritual life leave them. As the Bible describes it, they immediately felt naked and ashamed. Then the Creator God comes, and He pronounces judgment upon the serpent. But He also makes Adam and Eve a promise. And in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. God says, from now on, you, the snake, the serpent, talking about the deceiver, you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And Father, as we dig into your word this morning, I ask, Father, that you would use it as like a healing salve, as, as you would put like a, a burn cream on a burn, that it would bring almost instant relief, that you would address this spiritual frustration that is within us, this, this longing that we have for Jesus to come and make things right. Father, give us the spiritual gift of perseverance. And use these words, Father, that we're going to study today to bring hope back into our spiritual walk with you. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. There's a proverb that tells us in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's kind of where I think many people are today. As we keep hearing about the blessed hope of Jesus, we keep hearing about the rapture, we keep hearing about him coming and making everything right on earth, but we're not seeing it yet. And that word from hope in the Bible is founded in a word that means a delayed expectation. We have an expectation, but sometimes the delay can really kill us, can't it? It really makes us doubt. It really causes us to have some anxiety if God is going to be able to accomplish everything that he, is, he said he was going to be able to do. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to Christ returning to earth and restoring the Garden of Eden to us again. I am really looking forward to that. And I want to assure you this morning 
that God fulfills every single promise he has ever made in the Bible. He will fulfill his promises. In fact, that in fact, this promise that he spoke of in Genesis chapter 3, that someday somebody would crush the head of the serpent and crush his lies, it was fulfilled. It came true in the person of Jesus Christ and his ministry and him going and dying on the cross for all of us. And not only did Jesus crush the power of the kingdom of darkness, but he gave it back to his followers all the things that were taken from them in the Garden of Eden. He gave us back the power, the presence, and the spiritual life that was stripped from us as a consequence of the first human sin. And that's the fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3.15. Now, this isn't just information that I want to give you. It isn't just a Bible lesson. I want you to see some of the practical implications of what all of this means. You see, God promised to restore us to our place in his kingdom. God made that promise. And he, he made that promise to give us all the privileges afforded to us as sons and daughters of the king of kings. And this is true, that's the true meaning and fulfillment of the promise given to us that we just read. Now we're going to explore what that promise looks like and how we can apply it to our lives today. So turn in your Bibles now to Joe chapter 2. It's somewhere in the minor prophets of the Bible. Past Isaiah, past Ezekiel, you'll find Joel. Now some background on who he was. Joel is a prophet that existed leading up to the time of the kingdom of Judah's spiritual decline. He was contemporary with Jeremiah. And he's watching the nation fall into sin. He's watching the nation coming into God's judgment. And Joel is crying out for the people to repent as he can see the judgment of God coming. He's seen it coming in the near future and he's calling the nation to turn from their sins and turn back to God. And Joel prophesies several judgments beginning with a famine and a locust plague that destroys their harvest. But then Joel also predicts that God will restore them when they turn from their sin and come back to him. And I want to focus on the promise that Joel is giving to people about how, he, about how God is going to restore them when they repent and turn back to following him. Now in Joel chapter 2, Verse 23, it says, Be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He has sent you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grains, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. Now Joel is describing the blessings of God that he is going to bring to them and the incredible prosperity that comes to those who turn back to God to follow him. And I want to show, I want to look at this first promise in the book of Joel, and that is the idea of restoration 
and repayment. We hear a lot about restoration and repayment today in the news. One of the top news stories for the last couple years have been talking about reparations. Have you heard about that? Many people in America who are, whose ancestors were victims of slavery want to be paid for the suffering of their ancestors. Many people are demanding that the government pay them tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars for the sins of the government over 100 years ago. Now, I'm not going to comment on that particular situation, but I'm just going to use it as an example here that there is something that within us that demands justice. There's something within the human heart that sees an injustice and wants that to be corrected. It's part of our Imago Dei. Remember we talked about that a few years ago. That image of God that is stamped on each one of us. And because God is a God of justice, part of his character is stamped into our spirits and, and upon our creation. We yearn for things like fairness. Even when there isn't much fairness seen in the world. Even little kids, if they see a perceived Cheating in a game will yell, that's not fair. We yearn for justice even when we witness more and more injustice. We yearn for righteousness even in the midst of an evil that is engulfing our nation and our culture. And we yearn for peace even while there seems to be a spiritual attack that is undermining every little bit of peace on this earth. And all this yearning that we have comes from the Holy Spirit living within us. It's calling us back to the heart of God. And what we see in these prophecies in the book of Joel is that during times of trouble, God is keeping a ledger. He is keeping track of every injustice, of every pain, and every evil that is done to you. God's keeping score. His promise to us is that he will restore. We may not see it this side of eternity, but rest assured we will be paid back for every bad thing this life has thrown at us. God will restore it. That's the promise that we see here in the book of Joel. And God says here in Joel that you'll receive both the former and latter rains. He said your, your vats and crops will overflow with abundance and you will experience the fullness of God upon your life. But not only is he talking about the physical here, not only is he talking about the things we see on earth, there's something, theological term called the law of double meaning. And we see the law of double meaning coming into these scriptures here is that there is additional meaning to this. And that leads us to the next promise. And that is the restoration of intimacy with God. The restoration of intimacy with God. We should note that these are the verses that Peter quotes from in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out among them. Acts 2 is a record of the Holy Spirit poured out on all the believers in the upper room. And it's a fulfillment of the scripture. 
Acts 2 was the latter rain that fell upon them. The former rain came a few weeks earlier, after Jesus rose from the dead. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, Peace I give to you. This is right after he rose from the dead. He, he came to the disciples and he said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So that was the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit coming upon us in power. It was restoring the power, the glory, and the holiness of God within our spirits. We were no longer spiritually naked. And this is God restoring the most important thing taken from us during that original sin, that direct connection with God through the Holy Spirit. That was the promise that was coming back and being fulfilled during this time. And that connection comes with some practical benefits. And the first is a promise of the restoration of the power of God in our life. Continuing on in, in Joel, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Joel goes on to describe what this newfound power will do for people. It gives them an intimate closeness and communication with God. And that's a good thing. That's an incredibly powerful part of the gospel is that the Spirit of God wants to reside in us and upon us to get us through this time, to be able that, to give us the strength and the power that we can represent Christ to a, uh, a people that don't even know that name to be anything other than a curse. But like all things that come from God, Satan comes in and tries to ruin it with a counterfeit. And I'm afraid that's what we see in much of the church today. I love studying church history, especially revival history, but I, I read a lot about church history. And over my time as a Christian, I got saved in 1993, I've watched this interesting dynamic come into the church. I came to follow Jesus in an independent Pentecostal church that was Assembly of God, in everything except its name. Um, in, the, in the early 90s. And it was to about two years before the, the Brownsville and the Toronto revivals. If you know anything about church history, it was a major, major revivals that occurred in the mid-90s. And during that time in history, before that, both those things happened, church was pretty good. In our church, anyway, we had powerful worship. We had life-changing experiences with God. We had strong Bible teaching coming from the pulpits. The Holy Spirit flowed in the services, and people were changed forever. And then 1995, Brownsville, and then soon after that, Toronto Revival kicked off on Father's Day in the case of Brownsville. And after that, there seemed to be a, a subtle 
change in the focus of the services. Now, a lot of what came out of the 90s revival was good, but there was an unforeseen consequence that came with them. And like with all revivals, they end. But they didn't want it to end. So they started trying to manufacture the Holy Spirit in the service. They started trying to create atmosphere in the service. Instead of, of doing it the right way, creating an atmosphere of humility and hunger for God, we instead tried to change this into a worship experience. And instead of seeking the Holy Spirit as God, I'm afraid many in the church, and especially church leadership, instead of seeking God the Holy Spirit, they started seeking an experience. It changed the way we did church. Instead of creating an atmosphere of humility and hunger for God, we traded that in for a production every Sunday. We got stage lights, we got smoke machines, we got highly polished speakers and skilled musicians. We created this atmosphere. And you might ask, well, what's the difference? Well, one's a product of the world that won't save anyone. Hunger for God and seeking Him and letting the Holy Spirit move is what's the only thing that's going to bring saints and sinners closer to the Savior. And you saw the reaction in the pews. People who would be standing and worshiping God in spirit and in truth instead sat and watched the show instead of being moved to follow Jesus in their life. And I think many in the church and even leadership have chosen that production instead of the intimacy with God when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, many people want the quick fix in their service, and they don't want to tarry in prayer. They don't want to fast, and they don't really want to work out their salvation. They don't want to take it seriously and make it a priority in their life. It really fits with how, as a society and culture, how we deal with all relationships today. They want the quickie. They don't want the relationship. But that's the exact opposite of what God wants. We can't court the Holy Spirit for an experience. You can't beg him for visions. You can't beg him for power. You can't beg him for signs and wonders unless you're willing for him to show up. That means that the God of the Bible shows up. You can't just ask for the experience unless you want him. God isn't into experience. God is into relationship. And that relationship with God brings the experience. And if you don't start with God, if you don't keep God in the center of all things and end with something that glorifies Him and Him alone, then we've fallen for Satan's counterfeit. The time for part-time Christianity had ended a long time ago. In fact, it never really truly should have ever existed. And as we barrel toward the end times... We're all going to have to put that aside. 
We're all going to have to place Jesus in his rightful place in our hearts and minds. And that's done through the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the last point of today's message, and that is the promise of restoration to our rightful position. I said this earlier, but I'll repeat it again. All the history of the Bible, all of human history for that matter, is God working out his plan of salvation for you and me. He is restoring us to our rightful place that he created us for. You know, history didn't go off the rails in Genesis chapter 3. It isn't like, what did they do? Now i got to come up with something else. Jesus was not plan B. There was only God's plan. Our sin and salvation were part of God's plan A. God doesn't need a plan B because he sees everything from the beginning to the end. There is God's plan and no other. And there isn't a thing that we can do or Satan and his kingdom can do or anything else in all creation that can wreck God's plan. And God's plan was always the restoration of Eden. It has always been paradise on earth where we are the rulers. That's what we were created for. I look forward to that day. I look forward. I'm enthralled by the descriptions of what that's going to be like. And I hate to say it. I don't hate to say it. Part of me hates to say it. Brother, I ain't going to be any hunting in heaven. He'll make it up to us somehow. Isaiah describes it like this. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. An infant will play near the hole of a cobra, and a young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what God wants to bring back. This is the plan. Whether you read it in the beginning of the Bible or you read it at the end, this is the plan. He is moving us toward this. But in the meantime, he needs us to be filled with his Holy Spirit. He needs us to be filled with the power and presence of God so that we can carry it out and bring as many people as possible to live in this situation with us. Because there's only one other way. And it's not a pleasant one. God wants us to be reigning and ruling with him forever. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and power. But we don't have to look for the future to experience God the Holy Spirit. We can experience that right now. Let's all rise. We're going to end with a song asking the Holy Spirit 
to rain down upon all of us today. My friends, this isn't just something that we want to, to get the chills about on Sunday morning. Being filled with the Holy Spirit during this time is a matter of life and death for us as Christians. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to have so much access to us that like Paul and Silas, after being scourged, whipped, and thrown into a dark jail cell, we're praising God during that. That may be what's coming to America. Matter of fact, it is coming to America. Let's just say it. And we need to be ready for that. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to have so much control over us that we don't even care because we're looking forward to the kingdom that God is bringing.